This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko, as always, and I'm sorry that we are very belated with this episode, but uh, after the cup final, I went immediately on vacation, so hence the show is a little bit late now. Nevertheless, we have a lot of topics to discuss because of uh, yeah me being a little bit belated, and of course, we will talk briefly about the uh, cup final about Thomas Tuchel getting sacked by Dortmund and uh, the appointment of new coach Peter Bosch. And we will also tick off a couple of transfers uh, as Dortmund signed Maximilian Philipp and then Axel Zagadou. And without any further ado, I will now present who is joining me on this panel and once again the one and only Matthias Zuck here with me. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? Hey Stefan, I'm doing well, thank you. That is very good. Also here, Lars Pollmann. Hello, Lars. How are you? Fine as well, Stefan. Hello. That's good that everyone is in a splendid mood. And I guess uh, with that, we can talk about the cup final firstly, uh, since we will not go into that much of a depth since, you know, it's almost two weeks behind us. Lars, uh, what were your emotions as Dortmund lifted the trophy into the Berlin night sky? They weren't a plenty. Um, the game being relatively boring in the second half, in my opinion, plus the entire Tuchel situation coming to a conclusion. Uh, or We knew that it would uh, relatively soon after the game uh, dampened uh, my exhilaration, if you like. It wasn't the same as it was in 2012 after a brilliant game of football when Dortmund won the uh, double after a 5-2 win over Bayern. Uh, both the game and the general situation around it didn't really uh, lend themselves to me getting too excited, but obviously uh, every major trophy, and it was the first one since that 5-2 win over Bayern, is is cause for celebration. And I think the players uh, did in good fashion, and, and that's more important than what I felt. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Uh, Matthias... Was it more excitement or more relief you were feeling after the game when the final whistle was blown? It was relief in the sense of, finally, <laughs> after so many uh, cup final losses, close ones, one not so close one, uh, it was good to finally uh, win it again. I think it was important for me, for the fan base, uh, around the club, especially with the negativity. I mean, needless to say, had we lost the cup final and then the Tuchel fiasco and the, and the sacking and all that, it just would have been too much negativity. So this was kind of a, uh, a, a little silver lining or actually a big silver lining. I mean, it's a, it's a major competition. So yeah, I mean, the match was okay. Uh, at times really interesting. 
Um, and at times it was just domination, but uh, I'd say the first half was better than the second half. Yeah, Dortmund started well. Dembele scored after seven minutes or so, and then Frankfurt got in the game and caught Dortmund out uh, by playing uh, long balls behind the back uh, a couple of times. And uh, yeah, Timothy Chandler <laughs> winning a lot of running duels on his right side with Schmelzer probably not being entirely fit as he was subbed at halftime. And uh, yeah, as... Frankfurt did not only pull one back, but also hit the post and had uh, another chance that had to be dismantled by Birki, I think. Um, yeah, Dortmund were quite lucky to not be down to one at halftime, but uh, yeah, some changes had to be made at halftime already, as I already said. Schmelzer out due to injury and Marco Reus also out, uh, yeah, with a ligament injury. We will talk about that later, I guess, down the line. Um, yeah, then. Ginter moved from central midfield to defense and Gonzalo Castro was introduced as well as Christian Pulisic, who I personally thought had a very good game and reinvigorated that left side a little bit. So yeah, in the end, I think we can all agree that Dortmund highly deserved to win the game, although Frankfurt weren't a bad opponent. Um, Matthias, though, I think the... More, more, the most storylines coming out of this game actually took place after the game. Um, and so, yeah, we will shortly talk about Tohul getting sacked. And I, I guess it, it more or less started there. And, and it was kind of weird in the stadium. There was, uh, Tuchel, uh, on the video screen celebrating the cup final. And there were, uh, yeah, cheers for Thomas Tuchel. And, uh, then a couple of seconds later, the, uh, the image cut to Hans-Joachim Watzke who was standing there and looked rather disgruntled and uh, there were actually some some jeers and some some whistles to Watzke how did you see that and how did you think it would depict the, the rift or the split that is already taking place at the club itself maybe between fans and whatnot? Well it definitely shows that there's a rift or not a rift a disagreement I mean you're bound to have that given the size of the club and the amount of supporters uh that there are going to be different segments of supporters that see things differently I didn't like seeing the booing or jeers for Vatska cuz uh what Vatska has done for Dortmund uh over the last or Borussia Dortmund better said over the last what 12 years is uh unbelievable without him And Ranaroba, we would not be, first of all, we wouldn't be a club anymore. But second of all, uh, we definitely would have had all the success we've had since then. Uh, the pro Tokyo things I can understand, especially coming right after winning the day of Bepokai, um, and, and giving him the plaudits for it. So it felt a little, little awkward. Uh, I, I would have, I'm okay with people cheering him on. I'm not as okay with the jeering of Akivatska. Yeah, I think we can all agree with that, but it's more or less already showed, uh, yeah, that's a lot of credit in public relations, let's say, was lost by Watzke in, in recent weeks. And, uh, we will get to this, yeah, in a couple of minutes. Last, um, another talking point, of course, was also Marcel Schmelz's interview, uh, where he said that he was shocked that Nori Shine was not in the squad. Um, were you equally shocked as The captain. I was very surprised that Shine wasn't in the squad simply because everybody assumed he was going to start in absence of Julian Weigel, but I wasn't 
shocked that he wasn't in the starting 11 simply because he really didn't look too great against Werder Bremen from mostly an athletic standpoint. I mean, when you're easily losing sprint battles against uh, Max Kruse, that's not a good sign about your state of fitness and with the game most people, myself and seemingly Thomas Tuchel included, expected from Frankfurt meaning a focus on long balls and uh, duels in midfield. Uh, Shine wasn't the the perfect solution in that regard. Um, now, obviously, the game didn't pan out that way, and, and Ginter didn't look great in defensive midfield. He looked, I think, very good at uh, right centre-back in the second half of the game. Uh, the way it turned out, Shine would have presumably been the better choice, but uh, going by how Ginter looked against Augsburg, uh, in the second half when he played there for Weigel and how Schein looked uh, in, uh, against Bremen, I, I wasn't, you know, shocked that uh, Tuchel preferred to play uh, Ginter over Schein. The the more problematic thing in this, in my opinion, is that Marcel Schmelzer as the team captain should know better, in my opinion, than uh, indirectly criticizing or not necessarily criticizing, but um, talking down other teammates. I mean, obviously he's allowed to um, stand by the side of a good friend in Nuri Shahin, um, who's obviously a very important player on and off the field for Dortmund, but I think there there would have been or the, 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 there should have been a better way for a team captain to address that without diminishing other teammates uh, with, with Schmelzer saying that Shahin is the only player on this on the team who can play the the Weigel role role without um without uh, the results being uh too negative in 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 any way i mean even if that's what he's thinking uh, as the team captain you can't put yourself in front of your camera and say that that that's just not what a team captain should do in my opinion yeah i mean castro i think did a decent job as well in that position um yeah we're have voiced our doubts all over Matthias Gintanet position beforehand but then again I also agree with you that a uh, team captain maybe should not say that uh, Matthias do you also agree with Lars and I or uh, do you have a different standpoint on it I'm gonna disagree slightly um, because he's right in the sense that if you're looking for a close to like for like replacement Nuri Shahin is the right fit over definitely over Ginta um, and to a certain degree also over Castro, a different type of player um, in, in that regard. And he can't show support for Nuri Shahin without indirectly criticizing others. Um, so it's, I'm okay with it in the sense of, I'm a significantly bigger Nuri Shahin fan than I am a Castro and definitely a Ginta fan, especially in that type of role. Uh, so I, I don't really have a huge issue with it. I think it showed loyalty and a certain level of leadership to someone who has been there, you know, longest serving Dortmund player on the squad, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, he's from there. Um, and, uh, it was kind of a shame. I mean, again, I'll agree with Lars that I wasn't shocked that Tuchel let him out. I was disappointed more than shocked. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't really 
know what to make of this because knowing Tuchel, you know, he sometimes is very pragmatic in his ideas and doesn't really care about uh, <laughs> egos whatsoever and just throws in uh, yeah, the squad that he wants. And uh, yeah, some say it was maybe a little dick at Giant for uh, maybe leaking some comments to the press. But that's obviously only speculation. So, you know, I won't go into any more detail on that. Um, however, I think it, it really nicely depicted how, uh, yeah, there are some, yeah, troubles within the, the, the team and, uh, that there certainly is a group of players that weren't happy with Tuchel because to me, it seemed way too much. Watzke versus Tuchel in the entire scenario, but we all know, you know, the entire board in the end uh, agreed to the sacking, and uh, there there were also a lot of problems with Michael Zorc and of course parts of the team. While we also have to say that a lot of players came out and and uh, really voiced their regret that Tuchel had to leave. Uh, Christian Pulisic was one of them. Uh, Usman Dembele recently did it to Mark Batra, Roman Birki, Matthias Ginter. They they all said that uh, they're sad to see Tuchel leave, but uh, sort of accepted it. Um, but yeah, in the end, we more or less have to talk about uh, how the whole thing went down. Um, last, how did you see that uh, the second quote-unquote took place at the Larivé Hotel in, in Dortmund, which is basically just where the attempted murder attack on the team and also on Tuchel happened. And uh, what do you make of it lasting only 20 minutes, although they first uh, really said time and time again, officials, that yeah, they would basically review the entire season and approach this whole thing with an open mind? Uh, the, the hotel thing certainly was some... Uh, macabre uh, uh, symbolism, but then again, it's the team hotel, and I don't think Tuchel uh, took offense in that. Um, I think the, the the problem wasn't that the talk only lasted twenty one or, or so minutes, according to uh, Bild and other reports. Uh, the problem is that they very publicly stated before that they were going to uh, have this this huge talk with him and and talk. Not only about the season, but also about uh, soft power factors and you know loyalty and, and strategic planning and all that stuff. Um, if, if you do that, you should be able to pull off a firing in a more private manner. Of course, it's uh, impossible to do it completely quietly with the the size of the club and the the both the following in the media and from fans from really around the world these days, but. Um, I think the entire handling of this process was a bit amateurish. Um, I, I think even knowing, and, and Tuchel certainly knew, and not only for a few days before that, but he must have known for weeks that he was going to get sacked. And and most in the media and, and fans also expected it at the very least after um, the comments ahead of the Hoffenheim game, for example, uh, from uh, Watzke. But even knowing that and going into this uh, supposedly open-minded talk, uh, just not um, handled very professionally, in my opinion. How did you see that there was an open letter just a couple of hours after a press release stated that there won't be any further disclosure on the reasons of letting Tuchel go? Yeah, it... 
it it fits the bill in my opinion of this not being handled too well. I mean, I can understand to some extent that they needed to get something out there to explain themselves, even though um, the leaks to the media and, and club friendly media, uh, we can call them that, uh, you know, the, the Rückenhauses and even the, the Kicker and Ruhrnachrichten reports in the last few weeks of Tuchel's tenure were uh, fairly one-sided in my opinion. Um, so I, I can understand to a degree that they felt the need to explain themselves a bit further from a more official standpoint uh, and, and certainly Hans-Joachim Watzke felt the need to have that uh, signed by his name, even though I think we're all pretty sure that he didn't sit himself down and write uh, a two-page letter uh, by hand uh, and then gave it to someone to upload it on the homepage. But uh, the the problem for me is both the timing and then some of the contents of the the letter with Watzke stressing so often that he's the most authentic person in the world. And I mean, I'm very much paraphrasing, but everybody who, who read the letter or a translation will have to agree with me to some extent that he made a very good job of painting himself in a very positive light uh, without taking on any responsibility for any negative repercussions the last few weeks of Tuchel's tenure uh, surely had. As you said, they certainly lost some credit in the public eye and with some of the fans, as uh, you guys mentioned before, uh, they also received some negative feedback in the stadium in Berlin. So um, just another very fitting piece in the entire puzzle of the uh, Tuchel tenure ending on a sour note just as much uh, in the same vein. We can also talk about Tuchel setting up a Twitter account to get the upper hand on the club in announcing his departure 20 minutes before the club made it official. I think that's all on the same level of uh, almost pettiness, in my opinion. Yeah, we will talk about that in a second. But first, Matthias, I wanted to hear your two cents on that open letter and the way Borussia Dortmund, the club, first and foremost handled the uh, sacking of Thomas Tuchel. Well, um, as far as the open letter goes, uh, I think it, you know, it, it's annoying that it was stated like that. I mean, yes, it was, uh, having read it, you know, I mean, it was written in the, you know, hey, it's like a conversation with people here and fans and it doesn't have the cold nature of an official statement or press release, but it, but it was that. I mean, this isn't something Akivatska just quickly penned and threw out there. I mean, this was, gone through all the eyeballs and checks and all that kind of stuff to find the right language and so on. Uh, their official statement coming with the sacking, you know, they just didn't want to do any interviews and basically that's all this is. I mean, it's basically stating we're not going to have a conversation with the media about this. We're not going to sit down in a one-on-one -on -one and, and discuss about this. This is it and we're done and we're moving on. Um, you know, the, the letter clearly states that the issue wasn't necessarily in, in a sporting sense, the problem, it was a relationship problem. It was an issue with getting along with one another, even though Vatska said, you know, you don't have to, not everybody has to be a big buddy to get along, but you at least have to be on the same page. And, um, also from a company culture or in this sense, club culture. And I heard last week on a different 
podcast that that doesn't matter. Um, I completely and vehemently disagree. It matters to the core that you identify with a club, that you identify with the fans, with the culture, at least to a certain degree. Um, it's important that you fit into that. Now, uh, and, and the whole, it took 20 minutes or whatever, you know, having let people go and also having been let go myself, those kind of conversations are always short. Uh, you're not going to drag that out. Nobody should drag that out. So enough about that. And, but Stefan, you and I had talked about this when it was official that Klopp was leaving and you've brought it up a couple of times. And one of the things I said was you don't want to be the guy after the guy. And Tuchel was the guy after the guy. You know, we can't forget it's a comparison, a disjointed comparison with Jürgen Klopp. And even in that letter, Vatska talked about it, the special relationship that they had with Jürgen Klopp. And to compare Tuchel to Klopp is, it's so night and day, not just in certain approaches tactically to the, to the game, but also in their personalities. Klopp completely bought into the club, the fans, the culture, everything, just like he's doing in Liverpool. And, um, Tuchel isn't doing that. Is this not who he is? And we also can't forget that this is the guy who left Mainz in a complete lurch. So karma being a bit of a bitch at times, uh, turned around and this time kind of bit him in the ass. And they made the decision that they felt was in the best interest for the club, not just from a sporting sense, because they think they could find someone to fit that bill. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but also from a culture and a working culture and a working climate. And if that is so poisonous or so bad, eventually that will trickle down into other areas of business. Uh, and in this case, in other areas of performance on and off the pitch, and you just can't allow that to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that Watzke and, and the entire club more or less, uh, you know, basically sacrificed maybe short-term success with Tuchel for, for achieving their long-term goals because, you know, it's it's not yet clear whether Tuchel even would have extended his contract with Dortmund. You know, a lot of talk was that he sees Dortmund as, you know, his stepping stone and after three years his this project for him would be over and, you know, this might as well have been a lame duck season for Tuchel where uh, he would go on through the entire season dodging questions uh, about his contract extension or his, his future, which, uh, you know, is not exactly calm and rest at the club either. So, um, yeah, with that in mind, if, I guess we can all agree in the end it, it must have been for the better, although we never really know what the reasons really were in the end for, for those fallouts. But uh, what we do know is to, uh, <laughs> that they were there. Um, so, yeah, that that's so much for the club. Now, of course, uh, we have to talk about Tuchel uh, and him handling the whole situation as, as well. As last you just mentioned, he set up his own Twitter account to uh, basically ambush the club and, and uh, yeah, break the news. Uh, Lars, how did you see this Twitter account being set up? Was it very professional? It was anything but, uh, with many people, myself very much included, wondering whether this was actually a fake account and not even a, a well-done fake because Tuchel had failed to get his account verified before posting, which is what 
people who are that much in the public eye always do uh, just to get the suspicion of it being a fake account out of the way so yeah it uh, looked very knee jerky and it's also very interesting that the first uh, outlets to follow that were basically built and inside online Yep. Uh, I mean, uh, he, he got the word out there, I assume, or his agent did more. Um, but, uh, you know, the, Tuchel set the, the account up on, I think, Mon he was fired on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and the, the evening before he set the account up. So presumably it was a bit knee jerky from all involved, uh, as you mentioned. Um, but, uh, As much as Matthias is right that we can't really feel too sorry for Tuchel after what he did to Mainz, uh, quote unquote, um, I mean, it's still business even for them. So I don't think he did anything super outrageous, but it certainly wasn't a gentlemanly exit. Uh, the same way I can't really feel sorry for Dortmund being ambushed or however you want to call it by, by Tuchel making the announcement himself because Uh, they started the fight for the right of interpretation with uh, quote-unquote anonymous uh, leaks to the media, as we talked about earlier. So uh, as much as they didn't handle it very professionally, in my opinion, uh, it, it, it was certainly petty of uh, Tuchel to do this, but it, it fits the bill in, in every sense for all parties involved, and none of them came out of uh, this Uh, cleanly by by any by any stretch yeah that's certainly true um especially i i guess if we talk a little bit about you know what's next for thomas tuchel now because matthias i think you know his career plan probably involved bayern munich at some point however uh, the board in munich now saw how uh, he dealt with watzke in the public and uh, you hear a lot of whispers coming out of munich that they are rather put off now when it comes to Thomas Tuchel. So uh, do you think in in the end, if you look back at his time in Dortmund and how, how it all ended for Tuchel, it was an enormous own goal for Tuchel and, and his uh, yeah standing? I think so. I, don't, I think you have to take it beyond Dortmund. I think you have to throw in Mainz as well. Um, brilliant coach, brilliant tactician, Uh, not very good at dealing with people or clubs. Um, you know, I mean, the reports that one always hears is also the way he handles people, talks to people and stuff like that. It's difficult, you know, uh, and I, and I get that. Um, you know, everybody's wired a little bit differently. I think with Bayern at this point, they're, they're clearly set on Julian Nagelsmann is the guy they kind of want, depending on how the next two, one to two years go at, uh, Hoffenheim. So for Tuchel, I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't really know what club in Germany would want to take him. Yeah, even Bayer Leverkusen feeling careful yeah. now. I, I think the only club that would take him and one where he'd go, okay, maybe I'll do this, but it'll probably end poorly <laughs> as well is eventually our, our noisy blue neighbors, um, in Gelsenkirchen. Uh, I, I think. I thought you were going to say Hamburg now, to be honest. No, no, no. I'd, no, no. I'd, they'd love to have him, but I don't, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't need that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes outside of the Bundesliga, if he potentially coaches, uh, manages in, in England or some other place like that. Uh, I think he's going to take a, uh, 
some time off <laughs> voluntarily, involuntarily. We'll have to wait and see. I think the position that he was actually quite linked with and looked at was Arsenal. That's now gone for the next two years, at least. Uh, so I think he's just going to take a wait and see approach to a certain degree, like Klopp did. And Klopp then had the perfect opportunity come to him with Liverpool. And I think the same will happen with Tuchel. But everyone's going to be a bit leery because, look, if, if this happens in a, and I've been in this in the non-footballing world, if somebody leaves a job a few times and maybe you call in references, uh, and, and you hear, well, you know, he was really good at his job, but really had issues dealing with colleagues. Employers will think twice about hiring that person, even though they're perfectly qualified and they know they'll take them to the next level. And since this is so in the public public eye, I think the combination of Mainz and Dortmund will hurt him at least for the next few months. I don't see him managing a club come the first of August. Oh well, I don't. I can't make any predictions on that because we know clubs at some point get really, really desperate, and the uh, Sam Allardyce got a job pretty dang. Sam Allardyce got a job pretty dang fast, and you saw what he did to lose his previous job. So, yeah, you know, desperate clubs, maybe. Anywho, um, enough of Tuchel, I guess, because uh, we still have a lot of points to get to. And uh, yeah, Dortmund, of course, announced uh, the new coach on Tuesday as well, just eight days after they sacked Tuchel. Now, I guess we can do this chrono chronologically because the club more or less did it the same way. And, you know, it took more or less until Nice released a press release saying that Lucien Favre will not leave for Dortmund uh, until, you know, Dortmund actually set their sights on Peter Bosch. Now, um, Lars, I would say that Favre and Bosch are not quite similar and uh, we know Dortmund have a certain philosophy and implemented Tuchel also because they want to play possession football. I don't know how much that would have been possible under Favre. Um, how fickle is the club's philosophy, do you think, if they go from Favre to Bosch within two seconds? It's uh, even more fickle when you take into account uh, credible reports from uh, Kicker, for example, that Bosch only beat out Peter Stöger of Cologne by a hair uh, even though he doesn't have any on his head anymore. <laughs> I was just going to say. Yeah, uh, Peter Bosch is bald. Uh, get ready for a number of bad jokes on Twitter for that one. Um, I mean, there's very little common thread between Favre, Bosch and uh, Stöger in a footballing sense and also uh, in personality-wise. I mean, uh, both Favre and to some extent Bosch are considered not necessarily equally difficult to deal with as Tuchel, but certainly not the easiest people to deal with still. And Stöger is the complete opposite, but uh, doesn't really fit too many of the sporting criteria, even though I think he's a very solid coach and Dortmund could have done worse than, than getting him, uh, even though that would have been very difficult to get him out of his contract in Cologne after uh, he extended that until 2020, I believe, last year. Um, but it, it certainly feels like uh, they didn't really know what they were looking for. Uh, and, and I think that's a common thread in itself uh, that extends to the entirety of 
for example, Hans-Joachim Watzke's tenure as one of the deciders at the club. I mean, uh, if you look at all the appointments uh, they have made over their 10, 12 years, uh, they got lucky twice in a sporting sense with Klopp and Tuchel. And those two were the two very obvious hires uh, in Germany because both uh, Klopp in 2008 and Tuchel in 2015 were the the two coaches everybody talked about for pretty much every big opening. So uh, getting them in wasn't really uh, something they deserve too much credit for, in my opinion, just from the uh, decision-making standpoint. It wasn't difficult to to spot those two as singular talents on the on the head coaching market and and all the other appointments of what if we're talking about the Jürgen Röbers and Thomas Dolz of the world they didn't really pan out so well so it seems to me that uh it's at least uh, worth of discussion whether or not uh Watzke knows too much about hiring coaches uh obviously uh, we can feel relatively certain that Favre was Watzke's pick because uh, he reportedly was also very high on Favre when Klopp left and they only decided uh, for Tuchel then narrowly beating out Favre. So uh, I think Favre was once again Watzke's first choice and when when he wasn't available, it seemed relatively knee-jerky that they went to uh, Bosch. Now, I, I'm not saying that from a sporting perspective, it's it's not a bad fit by by any stretch. It's a very solid fit, and it, 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 there's every chance, in my opinion, that they actually got lucky appointing Plan B instead of Plan A from a sporting perspective. But the way it turned out uh, so quickly after uh, their approach for Favre was blocked, um, they seemingly asked the his agent Reza Fazeli. Uh, who he's got in his portfolio and then one talk with Bosch and everybody was convinced. So that's not usually how, uh, how this coaching search is, is operated. So I, I think they had their sights completely on Favre and were quite surprised that they didn't get him. And then plan B was executed rather, rather hastily. Now again, uh, they, they may, they may very well get lucky and, and, have made the the better decision now, but uh, it certainly deserves some scrutiny how how it came to that decision. Yeah, obviously, and uh, I th I think we all have a couple of points to make uh, <laughs> on our impressions of how quickly that decision apparently came about. However, uh, first I personally want to say that uh, I wasn't too sure in my own opinion on Favre either. Just as you mentioned, uh, you know, there are some questions about his character and and uh, you know might not be. The easiest to be handled. So I don't. I don't think anyone of us disagrees in the fact that you know he's a good coach, Lucien Favre. However, uh, the club needs more than a good coach right now because they had a very good coach in Thomas Tuchel. But uh, you know what they really also need is someone who brings some some calm and some chemistry to the board. That uh, you know there's some sort of feel good atmosphere and and some rest reinstated. So in in that aspect and and looking at how Favre left uh, Gladbach a couple of years ago, you know, didn't give me the most confidence. Uh, Matthias, how did you see that? Well, I, it's, uh, I mean, a couple of things uh, here. Um, if you look at the three main candidates that were really discussed over and over again, uh, Favre, 
Bosch and Stöger, it's, it's kind of three totally different types of people for different reasons. I think Stöger, the reason why he was of, of interest was because, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about, oh, there's, there's a split in the club and there's disharmony and there's chaos in Dortmund. And by we, I just mean at large, everybody is saying a lot of that, which isn't quite true. But Stöger came to the club in the city that is known for chaos and drama in Köln and together with Schmatke calmed it down. They were able to work and work well. And, and now they're going to be playing in Europe. And he identified with the club. He identified with the plant, uh, with the fans and, and made a connection, an emotional connection, which Klopp was able to do. So he was, he's not like Klopp, but he's more Klopp than Tuchel was. So I think that's where they saw the advantage of him is to put every, bring everybody together around a really likable coach who's also a good coach. Bosch, for me, significantly better personifies the tactical vision that really started and evolved through Klopp and then into Tuchel, and and he he fits it a lot better from a tactical and youth development and all that kind of stuff. I think Bosch is, for me personally, out of the three, the best candidate. Um, and Favre, the advantage I saw with him was good. We'll be better defensively. We've we've been known to that be a main criticism. Yeah, forty um, goals last season in the Bundesliga, not ideal yeah, for not ideal, yeah. not horrible if you compare it over the entire Bundesliga, but not ideal for what you want to be. Um, but I was concerned, you know, he was uh, his departure in, in Berlin. There were issues there beyond sporting issues in the second season, and obviously with Gladbach. I mean, he we I, I talked about how Tuchel left. Mainz in a lurch. I mean, you want to talk about somebody leaving a club in a lurch. That was Favre and Gladbach. He just basically said, I'm out and left. And they were standing there going, um, sorry, what now? Um, <laughs> we just lost five matches in a row, uh, you know, or we had a bad start to the season. L little help here. So, uh, I, I'm much happier with the Bosch signing as a manager. I think he's a very good manager. He has a proven track record. Also with developing young talent. Um, the only concern I had from a tactical standpoint, I felt that in the Europa League final, he couldn't find an answer to Mourinho's tactical answer to his tactical approach. And that's, that's the only thing where I'd go, hmm, let's see how he can change things if things aren't going his way. Uh, but again, he'll have significantly better players at his disposal at Dortmund than he did at Ajax. So. You know, knee-jerk, I don't think it was a knee-jerk hiring at all. I think being in a position where uh, business-wise you look at, oh, this is my 1A plan, this is who I want or what I want. But I, I'm kind of keeping these other ones here in case my number A target, whatever it is, is doesn't work out. And then I know I'm going to make a quick decision on the other ones because of time. So I don't think it's a knee-jerk reaction necessarily uh it happened quickly but i didn't i don't think that they had to drag it out much longer yeah i mean the the knee-jerk thing at least came in the sense that i personally had the impression that uh none of the people who were sitting on the pedestal um at the press conference that uh, either one of them had too many detailed things to say um You know, Peter Bosch basically said the, the things you usually hear from Hamburg managers when they're newly appointed 
basically saying, yeah, this is a great club. I'm honored to be here. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that more or less was already it. You could really uh, feel that, uh, yeah, just a couple of days ago or a week or whatever, uh, yeah, Peter Bosch was still thinking he would remain an Ajax coach and um, yeah, wasn't really confident to talk really much about any plans or anything he has for the club other than to play uh, football that's easy on the ice, which I think fans really do like to hear. But he basically said, yeah, I don't want to talk about any details of players here. I first have to watch a couple of videos <laughs> and see who, what kind of team I get. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he has a very good idea of what Dortmund is and how they play because... I'm I'm pretty sure at, at some point he used Dortmund as an example to things to show to his players, maybe video sequences or whatever, but you know, it's not like he knows every player perfectly. Um Lars, how did you perceive that, that news conference? Yeah, I I actually had to watch it twice, not only the Dortmund's uh media strategy showing it on Facebook and YouTube and uh, B4B Total and only allowing TV stations to go on with a 10 minute delay. Uh, only not only did not uh, did that not work out too brilliantly because there was about two and a half minutes missing uh, for some technical reasons and the, the first remarks of Peter Bosch weren't actually televised right away. Uh, and also I had to leave uh, soon after so um I, I rewatched it in the evening and I, I got the same impression as you did, Stefan, that none of the three guys were too well prepared actually for an unveiling. And, uh, I, I also got the sense that the, the reporters on scene weren't, uh, too keen to actually find out things about Bosch and really were more interested in trying to elicit responses to the general situation around the club, which was very much still shaped by the Tuchel sacking and the Im immediate media uh, backlash towards, on the one hand, Watzke, on the other hand, Tuchel was a bit of a back and forth in the media over the last week or so. And and to me, it didn't seem like, uh, you know, the, the same level of excitement was portrayed as uh, had been the case with the unveilings of both uh, Tuchel and uh, of course Klopp but uh, to some extent that's also down I believe to uh, Bosch being an for, being a foreigner and not seemingly being too confident speaking German to a large audience and and that's something I think he also mentioned in an interview with uh, the club's own TV channel that speaking German uh, for a month or so will will change how he approaches these kinds of situations so I'm not uh, I'm I'm not um, too worried that he's going to be uh, difficult to deal with for the press and press conferences, but certainly uh, a, a bit of an awkward uh, unveiling, in my opinion, not not portraying the same level of excitement as uh, getting a brilliant coach usually uh, elicits from fans. Yeah, I had a couple of questions written down, but uh, you know. Seeing how this press conference was going and the limited amount of questions and knowing that there are a lot of Dutch journalists who made the way and wanted to get some questions. And I thought to myself, all the questions I had for Bosch were, are questions that I can ask him further down the line and will pretty much receive the same answer. Um, so yeah, Matthias, you already alluded, uh, on a couple of points, uh, for which you think he is, uh, the most, 
or the, the best choice for Dortmund of the three coaches we just mentioned? Uh, do you want to go into a little bit more detail on that? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, he, he has a track record of working with younger players. If you look at, um, I mean, granted his, his time at, uh, uh, in Israel, I don't, I, I can't really tell you anything about, but his time at Vitesse and obviously now at Ajax, uh, his season there, always dealing with a lot of young players. Vitesse is essentially a feeder club for Chelsea. So a lot of young Chelsea loanees there. And then at Ajax, it was, I don't know if it was one of or the youngest team in the Europa League slash UEFA Cup final ever, but they were really, really young. Um, played It, nice football probably could have gotten more out of them with if with a little bit more quality or level-headedness in some positions uh, I was really rooting for them uh, in that final and so I think because of that and and given the strategy that Dortmund have now embraced of buying young and then knowing that they're gonna have to sell it for a huge fee but developing players and becoming that club and attracting those level talents Uh, he's, he's a great choice for it. And, and players will know that it'll be told to them. Look, you know, he managed at Ajax and Vitesse. They love playing this attacking, high press, uh, attractive style of football. And I think that'll excite young players. You know, no young player is going to be excited to go to a club where they know, well, we're going to be playing deep lying, 10 minute in the box counter attacking football where we're going to hope to score a goal. You know, I mean, this is, a higher tempo level. And I think that that definitely attracts players. So I think there's an affinity for that. Um, he also isn't a stranger to the Bundesliga. He played for, for Rostock uh, when they were still in the Bundesliga. So um, he's not a complete stranger. His German's okay. I think it'll quickly become better given where he's from. I think he's from Eastern part of the Netherlands where uh, a lot of people speak German, get taught German or see German TV. Uh, so I think, uh, that it'll be a good natural fit. Now, how he, uh, basically identifies with the club, that's hard to say. You know, uh, all I hope he does better than our last Dutch manager, which was Bert van Maavijk. And I remember the van Maavijk years with dread. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was a long, long time ago. Uh, but, uh, I think this could turn out quite well, in fact. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I once again want to highlight really uh, how important it is for Borussia Dortmund, as you just said, that, uh, you know, they put the youngsters they already have in their squad at ease, that it's, you know, going to be a coach uh, who will probably gladly work with them. And uh, and we mustn't forget, it's more or less Dortmund's niche or whatever you want to say. It's uh, and, and something they've really worked hard for a lot of years that, you know, we know all they cannot sign... Uh, highest grades, uh, you know, 25 year olds because they simply cannot afford them. However, um, attracting so much high grade young talent like Pulisic, like maybe Dan Axel Zagadou, like Emre Moore, Usman Dembele and, you know, getting these kind of players is huge for Dortmund and really helps them in, in their entire business models. So yeah, I still want to stress how important it really is now for, for Dortmund to uh, yeah, keep that sense up that uh, they are still a very attractive address for young players to go. Um, Lars, 
we have not really uh, yeah indulged or uh, spoke too much about his possession football approach and his gegen pressing style that he uh, likes to implement at clubs um how much do you think this is a fit for Dortmund although that's a very obvious question I'm s still gonna ask I think uh it's the continuation of what especially Tuchel but also Klopp have built over the years um, with Tuchel implementing more of a uh, focus on possession or ball retention in in the team's play um you know the, everybody has probably read up on the statistics that uh, for example uh, Bosch had about 56% average possession while at Vitesse Arnheim which uh, is a mid-level at best club in the Netherlands usually and, and they played dominant football with uh, a small uh, wage bill and you know uh, not the highest level of individual talent uh, available to them uh, even though they get all the Chelsea loanies as Matthias alluded to earlier uh, so in, in getting someone who appreciates dominance on the ball was obviously uh, important for Dortmund uh, even though the same can't necessarily be said about uh, Stöger or Favre, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, I was going to say, which was my, my main point on that first question I asked you. Yeah, but um, got, coming back to uh, his playing style or his preferred playing style, I think it fits very well with what they do and also what they could do uh, going forward, meaning uh, that there are some obvious... Uh, areas of improvement available. I think Dortmund's uh, gegenpressing wasn't always the sharpest, especially uh, in the second Tuchel season, which also is down obviously to the uh, massive squad overhaul over the summer and so many moving parts within the season because of injuries and, and form crises and all that. So um, getting someone who has a large focus on that as well as possession, I think will will be of benefit to them, but uh, in in the same vein, we can also talk about, as Matthias alluded to, uh, Bosch's, uh, I, I guess we can call it stubbornness uh, in a tactical sense. We we saw what many, myself included, perceived to be naivete in the UEFA uh, Europa League final. Um, they they still played their usual stuff, and it decidedly did not work in the game. But they they didn't have a plan B and. Obviously, I, I haven't seen enough of his day-to-day -day work, um, Bosch's day-to-day work, to really judge whether that that's a tactical stubbornness that's just part of his game or whether he knew uh, that he wasn't going to win that game. So might as well just play our own game and, and uh, at least try to put a good performance on the pitch, which the, I guess they also failed to do because they didn't really have any huge scoring chances for the entirety of the match. But... Um, Certainly, him coming to Germany will will be a change because Dortmund often play against good counter-attacking teams. It's what the Bundesliga does pretty well. Counter-pressing and counter-attacking is the bread and butter of two-thirds of the league almost. So, um, If not there, more. Yeah, there will be somewhat of a learning curve for him um, and his one season at Ajax was by and large a, a resounding success, but then again, he also had a rough start there 
for example, dropping out of the Champions League qualifiers against mighty FC Rostov of Russia with a, I think, a 4-1 defeat away from home. So um, we shouldn't be too surprised if it took Dortmund uh, a few weeks to adjust to uh, Peter Bosch's style, which I guess uh, with him being the dutchiest of Dutch coaches at the moment uh, might be more radical than what they've seen uh, in the last few years. Yeah, I uh, actually had a similar or have a similar concern uh, as you that he has some uh, sort of stubbornness because uh, we we saw it under Tuchel. I think we lauded it a couple of times here on, on the show that um, don't want to dictate the game for most parts during the season. But there were a couple of matches three or four um where they sacrifice their possession game and their ideology for getting a result and i asked a dutch journalist about that too and uh, he told me that uh bosch actually has this uh, pragmatism in him sometimes however uh you know we still have to see how far that goes and uh yeah I also do wonder if if uh, that tactical f flexibility is maybe something we see more him trying to do in Dortmund because maybe he finds that the, the, the team is more capable of doing that than his Ajax side. So those are just questions we will see if uh, they will be answered further down the line. Um, what I find very interesting, and, and uh, I think we've seen this now in almost every tactical analysis or, or profile of Bosch, nevertheless... Um, he is, is someone who, who likes to work with his fullbacks entering the half spaces and basically using the midfield to cut channels open and, and create space for center backs moving forward. And we know we, with Mark Bartra, there's at least one center back in the Dortmund system who can do that very well. And, um, yeah, it's certainly a very good, uh, technique to unlock men marking or men oriented to, Schemes and we've seen that also already happening under Tuchel. So I, for once, am very positive about that happening under Bosch as well because I think it's a very efficient thing to do. Matthias, um, how, yeah, do you do you see Dortmund set up now under Bosch? I mean, we more or less can expect a four-three-three system, right? He is basically, uh, yeah, someone who admires. Johan Cruyff, Pep Guardiola, Luis van Gaal, those kind of people? Uh, I think it's going to be a lot more reminiscent of season one under Tuchel, where Tuchel set up in a 4-3-3, uh, almost exclusively, uh, especially in the beginning. So I think we'll go back to that. But I want to, I want to touch on something really, really quick that I find interesting and actually quite amusing, uh, given that we just talked about it when we talked about Tuchel's future. I hap I got alerted to a tweet from Deutsche Welle that uh, there are rumors that Markus Weinziel may be out and they're alluding to possibly Thomas Tuchel being his replacement. Just happened to see that. So I figured I'd bring that up since we just talked about it. Uh, wouldn't that be funny? Uh <laughs> yeah, it would be, would be uh, really ironic if uh, Tuchel then has a lot of success with Schalke and basically really, really wraps it in. That would be really ironic if anybody has a lot of success. Um, he, he, yeah. Anyway, uh, back to your question. I just happened to see that and thought it was rather topical. 
Um, I mean, how it will set up? Yeah, four three three. Bartra will be a happy man. I think uh, our new young center back signing could be a happy man. Um, Toprak? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Socrates. Socrates. Well, but occasionally, I mean, occasionally he's actually semi capable moving forward. Um, and we can't forget we're getting Zubotic back, so who knows what happens there. But it, I, I think this team, maybe with one more addition, if we exclude having to replace Obama Young, is actually perfectly set up for the way Bush likes to play. And we have all the right players and all the right places and all that kind of stuff, barring injuries and so on, uh, that I think it's, it's, um, almost cookie cutter plug and play in a lot of ways for him. Uh, and, and who knows? Maybe we get someone like Casper Dahlberg in the whole deal as well. Yeah, no, Dahlberg already said that he has no intention to go to Dortmund. <laughs> yeah, so. we all say that. Yeah, well, um, but I, I for one still think there's a pretty good chance that Aubameyang will remain at Dortmund. Although, I mean, it's, it's pretty 50-50, right? However, it's, it's quite funny that we haven't heard anything from Aubameyang just yet. But, but the, the problem is, or not necessarily a problem, I think, uh, Bosch is clever. Of Aubameyang, yeah, yeah Bosch will be clever enough to adjust his style to one of the best pure goal scorers in the world, but. Yes. Yeah. From from a, a pure tactical perspective, Aubameyang is not a great fit for what Bosch likes his uh, central strikers to do because they are very much involved in setting up many plays. They they are usually required to play with their back to the goal, receive. So uh, Sandro Wagner then? No, re- no, more technical than that. They receive uh, long but uh, low passes from center backs often and and lay them off to onrushing midfielders. So someone like Lewandowski, uh, even though he's probably the best number nine in the world and fits every system, but he was uh, would have been a much uh, more logical fit for what Bosch likes to do with his central strikers than Aubameyang, who's often not really part of the team's game and more of a phantom in the box, if you like. Um, I, I think uh, Alexander Isak, Dortmund's uh, young Swedish signing from last January, would in theory be the kind of player uh, Bosch would be looking for, but obviously he's far too inexperienced to play an important role for Dortmund uh, anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you you mentioned Isak because, you know, you, you could really get a feeling now that with the whole preseason, Isaac maybe actually play a much bigger role than we all expect now. Uh, but I'd he doesn't have a, a full preseason because he's at the under nineteen Euros. Uh, oh so yeah, he, that's right. He and Paslak and other players will will miss a lot of uh, preseason. So uh, I I think that's really a pity because uh, for one, I would have been excited to see him more often in preseason friendlies, if nothing else. And also, I think. With uh, Bosch being so keen on playing young players, I mean, he he started a 17-year-old centre-back for most of the second half of the season in, in Matis de Ligt, and he did really well. So it, it, I wouldn't have put it past Bosch to even use Isaac every now and again in, in real games. Uh, but uh, with 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 the uh, with his European exploits over the, the summer, that seems rather unlikely to me. 
I mean, do you guys think that uh, Bosch could give new life to Mikel Marino? Well, that's surely one for last to answer. Um, with Weigel being out until October or so, uh, it, it seems like there's an opening, uh, at least for the, the summer preparation, uh, with only Shahin, potentially Janice Bornich and Mikel Merino as uh, defensive midfielders in the squad, but uh, I think it's fairly likely that Merino is going to leave on loan or even on a permanent deal with maybe a buyback clause. So as much as I would like for Don Mikel Merino to take his righteous place uh, <laughs> at the base of Dortmund's midfield as the, <laughs> as the best player in the world, I think it's rather unlikely. Okay, I just had to think of it. I mean, even if he would slot him in the center back, it kind of fits the kind of uh, um, player profile he likes for center backs. Yeah, we saw that uh, in one match, was it against Union Berlin or so, where uh, Merino played as a center back and, and moved forward quite a bit. I mean, yeah, you were right in I that. I think you, me you mean the, the second half against Hertha in the Bundesliga when he set up the equalizer with the brilliant pass from the left half space after stepping up. Yeah, that's certainly an idea I would entertain, but then again, they have Accounting Matthias Ginter and Zuotic, I think seven center backs. So, uh, I think opportunities, uh, to test that would be far and few between. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the thing you mentioned here. And before we get into the new signings, obviously I have to ask, um, Matthias, do you think that uh, we, we talked a lot about youngsters benefiting from the coach by, but that on the flip side obviously would mean, that some old players would get axed and the candidates you see uh yeah maybe not really fitting the bill here anymore with Bosch in. Yeah, I don't Honestly, you know, I mean at this point it's all speculation, so I'm not I, honestly I have no idea. I I can't even give a, an educated guess. Can you Lars? <laughs> well, one of the things uh I kind of like about Bosch is that he's rather ruthless with players he doesn't uh, require for his team's play. So, uh, for example, at Ajax, uh, they let go of uh, Richard Lipazur, who went to Wolfsburg in the winter, even though he did kind of fit what, what he likes to play as. He didn't have uh, a future at the club because he didn't see one. So he didn't use him uh, for much of the first half of the season and then sold him in the winter uh, the same with Nemanja Goudet uh, another midfielder who just doesn't really fit what Bosch likes to do and he's ruthless with, with that kind of player uh, if he doesn't see a fit for them he's not playing and and he's uh, advised to leave the club and i think with Dortmund having a super large squad at the moment i think having someone who's not afraid of cutting ties with players who just don't cut it anymore uh, is is obviously in my opinion a bonus so i i'm, I'm kind of hoping that after you know one and a half two years under peter bosch the squad is very much thinned out because at the moment i think they have something like 33 players in the squad which is outrageous even uh, taking into account how many injuries dortmund usually have every now and then so uh I mean, it's normal that they have a bigger squad than most other teams, but having more than 27 players is just counterproductive. And I think uh, we, we'll see some exits via loan uh, and obviously a few sales as well over the next few weeks. Um, I think 
unless the Aubameyang situation comes to a conclusion with a sale, I think uh, the 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 incomings have been finalized now that they've signed one player for for uh, each part of the uh, team. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, start with the most recent recent signing. Uh, Maximilian Philipp joins Dortmund on a fee between fourteen and twenty million. I guess, as you said in the, in our article on yellowworld.com, uh, it's probably going to be a fifty million base fee and then bonuses or whatever. Um, no, the the most recent reports actually say that it's twenty straight up. All right, then yeah, that's I guess. So the, the, the prices are now considering there is a new TV deal incoming for the Bundesliga, meaning way more money. Uh, yeah, 20 million obviously sounds a lot at first, but I think, uh, you know, the future will put that all a little bit into perspective. Um, Matthias, first thoughts on the uh, 23 year old joining from Freiburg on a five year deal? Well, I think, I mean, yeah, 20 million seems a bit much, um, for a Freiburg player, uh, off, but in the current climate, it's probably pretty cheap. Uh, Maximilian Philipp, actually having seen quite a few Freiburg matches this last season, uh, with Grifo was one of their best players. Um, obviously they have a lot of players that played quite, quite well to get them where they were in the Bundesliga, but uh, I'd say he's one of the best, one of the most important players that they had. Um, fits a lot of the, the roles uh, that that we would require at Dortmund, can also play as a lone striker, which is nice because that is one concern for me. Whether we sell Obama Young or not, what if he gets injured? What do we do then? Who do we put up top? And Philip can play as the lone man up top, a little, little deeper, which could actually suit Bosch's system a little bit more. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, is he a like-for-like -like replacement for Marco Reus? No, on a quality level, Reus is one of the five best players in Germany. Uh, but can he come close in a collective system that works? Yeah. So I'm actually pretty happy about it. 23-year-old still has potential to grow uh, for a few more seasons. Young German player is nice to see. So, no, I I applaud it. Yeah, I think I, I've written it in, uh, in my article on, on ESPN uh, that basically all you have to do is squint and uh, you see Marco Royce instead of Philip on, on the pitch just by the way I think he, he moves. And, um, yeah, not only only how he runs but also um how he runs when he receives the ball that he immediately turns to goal uh and when he's in a deeper position that are very royce things to do and uh, yeah he's a very direct player uh unlike royce of course uh philip is uh or does not have a weaker foot which uh yeah makes him so versatile and uh I, I guess he won't be a starter right away, but <laughs> uh, he is certainly a very good option as a stopgap. Of course, someone asked me now, uh, why would Dortmund sign a player like that if they have, for example, Christian Pulisic, who would then deserve more playing time in Royce Wake? And I will uh, hand that question over to you, Lars. I, I don't really see that concern. Um, I think... Pulisic and, and Reus, and uh, I guess I would agree with, with the notion that Philip is a not too poor man's Reus, meaning that he's similar but not obviously as good because few people in the world are as good as Marco Reus. 
I I think they they will fill somewhat different roles. Uh, I do like that uh, Pulisic is uh, direct as well, but he's direct into the box, but not going on goal. If that makes sense, um, he he's looking to get past players to set up teammates, whereas uh, both Royce and Philip always have the eye on goal first, which I think is a quality that. Uh, Dortmund have lacked in in recent times whenever Mark Reus was out, and obviously that's uh, almost more often than not the case. Uh, again, uh, I think we haven't mentioned the exact injury, which was a partially torn ACL uh, requiring at least four months uh, going by uh, Bundesliga statistics. Uh, and if he's Unlucky, which Marco Reus tends to be in injury uh, terms, he's not going to play in 2017. So uh, I, I think that's what accelerated the need um, for a player like Philip, uh, who whom I rate really highly. I think it's a it's a very solid signing for Dortmund. I had identified him as a, as a personal target of mine, if you like. Um, but I don't really see that he's going to take anything away from Pulisic. Um, I think that's that also in in uh, Bosch's system I don't think they fill the same role exactly and also uh, just more generally I think Pulisic will develop into a more central player over the next few years and and Philip is more of an attacker than Pulisic who I think is going to be when all is said and done more of a midfielder Yeah, I guess that's all said and done on Philip, unless Matthias, you have anything to say. No, that's about uh, it. Can, can I mention that he's a very clean hitter of the ball and I expect some beautiful goals range, from him, yeah. especially with uh, Bosch not being as adverse to long range shot as uh, Tuchel was, even though I think that's also down to the quality of goalkeeping in the Netherlands being much lower than in Germany, but I think they'll they'll allow attackers to have more of a go from, you know, just outside the box. And I expect a few bangers from uh, Philip, who's really a remarkably clean hitter of the ball with both feet. Yeah, what I what I especially appreciate is that he likes to keep the shot low into the corner, which I always think is the hardest to save for a goalkeeper, unless, of course, you really put it in, in the top corner. But I think that's harder to do. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. But... um. Yeah, I, 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 I like those kind of shots and yeah, he's three of his nine league goals last season were from outside of the box. So yeah, and we mustn't forget he also has a very creative outlet in the sense that he picked up many, many assists. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess the, uh, profile a player joining Dortmund has to fit that he has more than just one quality. And yeah, I think. Dortmund fans are allowed to get as excited about Philip to some extent. And uh, I don't know how how remarkable or important it is that he already more or less agreed terms with, with uh, RB Leipzig and then pulled out and joined Dortmund. Since uh, Leipzig and Dortmund probably on the long term will be competitors for exactly those kind of players. So still good for Dortmund that they are winning these battles. Um, yeah, moving on, Dortmund also won a battle uh, for the uh, signature of Dan Axel Zagadou. And I must be very open about this. I don't really know all that much. I've read a couple of things, of course, but, you know, I haven't really seen much in action. 
So, uh, Matthias, if you want to go first and give us your two cents on that transfer, <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> yes, you're such a dirtbag. It's only because I told you before we recorded. I have no idea. <laughs> um, the only report I know about the kid is uh, he's really tall. He's a big dude. Uh, what is he? One meter ninety three, I think. Yeah, at the age of seventeen. Um, at the age of seventeen, so he still has some growing to do. Uh, he's big. He's got some pace, and apparently, he's actually pretty good with the ball at his feet and opening play. So, uh, that's it. And that's just hearsay reading from what others have written. I have no idea. I don't know if I'll be able to see him this summer. Is he going to be? At the under twenty one Euros, by any chance, do you guys know? Because then, no, he's not. Chance? No, he's not. No, he's not. And I, I, okay. I think he's also not at the under nineteen Euros. Under nineteen. Even though yeah. I'm not even sure France have qualified for that. Uh, the thing with the French youth setup is that they regard the under twenty as the most important team most of yeah. the time. So I, I'm, I'm fairly confident they yeah. aren't even uh, qualified for the under twenty one Euros. But, um. Sagadou, uh, with, with so many talents in France, he's still at the under 18 level. So I think he's off for the summer, which obviously is very important for his first few steps at Dortmund. Yeah. And that's the downside with, with, uh, Maximilian Philipp. He will be at the under 21 euros. So that's also kind of an annoyance, but no, I, I know, honestly, I know nothing about the kid. That's sorry. Yeah, it's just very interesting that PSG once again could not hold on to one of their pristine youngsters. Um, because, you know, you read time and time again how they are very frustrate, frustrated with the, those hot young talents, uh, not really, yeah, signing a professional contract once they turn 18. Cause that's pretty much what Zagadou did in Dortmund. When he turned 18, he signed a pro deal, also a five year deal. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Dortmund really, really needed to bulk up in defense and maybe he joining also Toprak on the, uh, center back list that, uh, yeah, arrives in Dortmund this summer, uh, can do a very good job. And who knows with Peter Bosch in the picture, if he actually gets some minutes, although, you know, Sork, I think has said that he was more signed with a perspective than rather being of immediate help. But you never know, of course. Um, nevertheless, it's, it's, it's good to know that you sign a young center back who actually knows a thing or two to do with the ball is good in his anticipation and, uh, yeah, is physical as well as pacey. I guess the requirements for center backs really, uh, yeah, have stepped up a, a bit over the last few years. So, um, yeah. Not much negativity there. Of course, in the end, you always have to see how consistent such a centre-back is, of course. Um, Lars, any other topics we still have to discuss on this show? I think we've covered it all pretty well. I mean, uh, we, we assume there will be some movement uh, in terms of departures with uh, Matthias Ginter being linked with both Hoffenheim and somewhat oddly, in my opinion, Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, I think Zubotic unlikely to stay. Uh, and then obviously the, the elephant in the room, uh, 
and and a situation nobody seems to have a great read on uh, is Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Will he stay or will he go? And if he goes, which I think is still more likely, um, what is the contingency plan? Do they uh, go out of their way and and sign someone for a new record transfer fee? Uh, I, I mean. I'm not expecting uh, Alexandre Lacazette to show up at Dortmund anytime soon, but do they have some some large solution in mind? Maybe someone that surprises us, uh, or do they go with their usual route of signing a somewhat unknown? I mean, uh, it won't be a complete stranger to us, but uh, are they going to go with you know the the 21 year old talent and hope that he together with Andre Schöle, Maximilian Philipp, Marco Reus eventually, and some of the other attackers can can do the job. So, to me, that that uh, question is the the most pertinent one now that the other parts of the squad have been strengthened, and and then obviously also uh, does Bosch identify any one area on the team needing some reinforcement? I think. I wouldn't be shocked if they were on the lookout for another right back, for example. I think that those two position groups are the, the most interesting ones as we approach the, the actual opening of the transfer window. We've, we've been spoiled by Dortmund getting deals done early in the last few years. Yeah, certainly the only question mark, of course, is, um, if Dortmund have, uh, if someone, Basically, in their backhand, if Aubameyang is to leave, um, how long can they drag this out? Meaning, how long will Aubameyang drag his decision out and whether they will set him a deadline at some point? Uh, because, obviously, you if you want to get a striker, uh, you better make sure that he joins the team as early as possible to... Uh, yeah, get to know everyone and then be there on the first day of, of uh, yeah, pre-season. Matthias, what's uh, your expected scenario to happen with Aubameyang? Uh, well, first of all, I agree 100% with Lars that uh, a new right back may not be bad. Uh, Pischek isn't getting any younger. And Eric Durm, although Pacey has one of the f worst first touches imaginable. Yeah, well, basically it's uh, a trampoline have, when it comes to first touches. It's it's bad. It's bad. If if somehow he could control that, he can actually be a really, really good right back. But I doubt that's going to happen at his age anymore. Uh, with Obama Young, yeah, I'd like obviously I'd like him to stick around. At the same time, if PSG offers 70, 75 million straight up cash, take it. Take it and take it to the bank and run. Um because Obama Young is what, 28 now? Um, and, uh, yeah, no, you can invest that not just in the squad, because you're not going to buy a player for 75 million, but you can invest it in general and in infrastructure and, and stuff like that. So, uh, hopefully it won't drag out too much if he does decide to leave this summer. Uh, and if the club decide to let him go, it's not really his decision completely. He has a contract. Uh, but if if that's the decision, make it happen quickly so that a new striker or two can come in, bed into the squad as quickly as possible. Yeah, but I think we can all agree on that it probably won't be as Lars already mentioned, Lacazette or Murata or any sort of strikers of that caliber, but rather on the lower. No, someone, what's, uh, what's the last one I saw? Was it Lucas Arias? 
that his name? Alario. From of, Alario, of Boca Juniors, River Plate. Uh, River Plate. Is it River Plate? Yeah. Um, yes. Kind of bad to, to mix those two up, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I think his agent came out today and said, uh, or basically squashed those rumors and they didn't really make too much sense for me. I, I mean, I'm not going to act like I've seen him too much, but uh, from what I've seen and read about him, he doesn't really fit the bill as a number one striker for Dortmund. And I, I struggle to imagine that they are going to bring in too many uh, strikers having already signed Isaac, who's regarded as a generational talent uh, and only uh, not going to have too much of a role for Dortmund because of his inexperience. Well, what about Balotelli? No, thanks. <laughs> All right, it's time to end the show. Um, thank you, Matthias, for joining once again. Please uh, tell all uh, this where they pleasure. can find you on the internet. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. You can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk. Great. Lars, where can people find you? Not in Berlin, if uh, I can make the dumb joke this time. Um, uh, they can uh-huh. follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman. Yeah, also very neat and you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter if you want to check out my written work go on ESPNFC if you want to get in touch with all of us do that via Twitter at YellowWallPod or uh, Facebook YellowWallPod or just you know go on our page YellowWallPod.com and uh, yeah if you want to support us because we do have a Patreon page you can go there as well patreon.com slash the yellow wall and uh, I brought home some uh, cups from the DFB Pokal Final. Uh, you can purchase on our Patreon page. Um, if you do that, please let me know. Drop me a little line or something on Twitter because I found out that I don't check back with our Patreon page every day. Nevertheless, I'll uh, send them your way as quick as I can. And uh, yeah, there are still a couple of uh, cups left uh, someone bought, but uh, actually never told me which one. So please get in touch. Yeah, otherwise, I guess that's it. We will be back next week with our season awards. And then I think we still have a couple of uh, transfer rumors to do. And last, you will have a nice interview coming up, won't you? Yes, we will, or I will rather uh, talk to Dutch football expert Priya Ramesh, uh, and I think we'll have that out somewhere over the weekend. Uh, looking forward to a nice discussion about uh, Peter Bosch. Yeah, so please go check all that out, and uh, yeah, that that's all from us. Until next week, goodbye. Shit happens.